0: Hi, welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast with me, your host, Louis Giglio. I'm so glad you're here for this special episode. I'm gonna tell you more about that in just one moment. But I just wanna say thanks for being on the Passion and Purpose journey with us, season one. Um, is coming to a close very soon and we're getting incredible feedback so if you're new to the podcast I hope you enjoyed if you've been on the ride with us so far make sure you're telling your friends your family everybody you know about the conversations you think will encourage them the most and always it helps when you leave a positive review because that lets the platform know that these conversations matter to people and therefore the message reaches more and more people across the planet so Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast, where you're discovering how God has uniquely gifted you and how you can use those gifts for his glory. Today's conversation is gonna be very stimulating and incredibly encouraging. I'm talking to Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a communication pathologist and she's also a cognitive neuroscientist and she knows how the brain works. And she's going to help you understand how your brain works. Therefore, she's going to help you change the way you think. And changing the way you think is going to change the way you live. So welcome to this conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf.
1: Well, I am pumped to have Dr. Caroline Leaf on the podcast today. You don't know how excited I am because I... Uh, have 100,000 questions to ask you, and um, the new book is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, and the positive spin on that is five simple, scientifically proven steps to reduce anxiety, stress, and toxic thinking. And I would say everyone alive on planet Earth wants to know how to reduce anxiety, stress, and toxic thinking. So before we jump in, just thank you for uh, giving us some of your time today, your extensive background in clinical work as a neuroscientist doing research. You have a particular view on the human brain that I would say a very small percentage of people on the planet have. I'm coming from the pastoral scripture side. You're coming from the clinical scientific side, but I think there's probably a lot of common ground. In fact, I know there is today And both of us want to help people. At the bottom of it all, both of us want people to have a free mind so they can do what God has created them to do. So thank you for jumping on today and sharing some of your wisdom with us. Help us know how you define a toxic thought, and are there two or three top toxic thoughts that all of us are facing?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, Louie. It's an honor to be on your podcast and to finally meet you. I know your beautiful wife, and we know each other, so it's so great to finally talk. So, thank you so much for this this privilege and honor. Well, that's a great question because to- the concept of toxic thinking encompasses basically anything that we're battling with, and any of the patterns in our life that have come from potential trauma in childhood, adulthood, at any stage of our life. As humans, we are in life, which is very challenging, and so as humans, we are always facing adverse circumstances. So, since since the beginning of time, humans have battled with toxic thinking, and it's very, very normal. And um, I'll, I'll unpack this as I'm going on, but it's very, very normal. And But what we're supposed to be doing is managing our toxic thoughts, managing that mental mess. And we're totally able to do that. So toxic thinking is is, is honestly, there's so many categories. Um, there's so many different areas. It's so unique to each person. Um, But you've got your general things like traumas that are undealt with will manifest in tremendous uh, uh, disruptive patterns in one's life. And until dealt with, they will continue to pervade everything. Uh, Toxic habits that we build, you know, we build toxic habits of just getting into bad ways of doing things. And and, and because the toxic traumas and habits become so established, it feels like that's who we are, but it's not who we are. Because anything that goes against our survival mode, which is sort of the science talk for our wired for love, made in God's image mode, which scientists also talk about wired for love, is basically threatening our survival. It's threatening the balance inside of us. It's threatening our ability to function at the level that we should be functioning at. And so we have this whole design with the psycho-neurobiological design or mind-brain-body design that is enables us to recognize when we're in a toxic state and battling with some form of a toxic toxic thought, which we all do. I just can't stress that enough. Every human is battling with toxic thoughts in, in any way. And that we, we get these prompts and the prompts are to are things like depression and anxiety. So depression and anxiety aren't toxic thoughts. Depression and anxiety and frustration and irritation and disassociation and all these terms are basically warning signals or clues telling us, okay, there's toxicity in our life. We've made some sort of mess somewhere. We need to pay attention because that's damaging to the brain and the body, increases vulnerability to disease and also messes with our mental health. And so we needed to ourselves to listen to that. And that's pretty much what my work is about. It's helping people to understand what is the mind? What is the brain and body? What's the difference between the mind, brain, and body? What's the connection? What kind of level of autonomy agency do we have over this? What does it mean to have a messy mind or toxic thinking? And is it bad or is it just part of who we are as humans? And what are we supposed to be doing about it? And that's a very different view because basically, if you look at the current the narrative for mental health, it's one of, as soon as you have anything like depression or anxiety, there's a problem. You have a neuropsychiatric brain illness. And that's not correct science. It's not accurate science and it's been very damaging. It's been the philosophy for 40 years. And even in the religious world, as you'll know, Louise, the, the there's a lot of religious trauma where people think, oh my gosh, I'm sick, I'm a sinner. And you know, there's a lot of very negative sort of connotations where people are too scared to say that they're feeling sadness me or depression because thinking that oh well then I don't have enough faith and so on and that increases the levels of trauma. So what we have to do is look at how we've actually been, how we've actually been designed and created, and what does it mean to be made in God's image, and what does it mean to to actually be a human in life with free will a human in life with free will, we are going to make messes of things because we're at the front line experimenting. So our primary mode of operandi is one of, okay, there's life, I'm in life, I'm not, I'm messing up or I'm doing well Either way, I need to be uh, evalu- uh, evaluating how I'm functioning by connecting back to what is truth. And God is truth. So what do we have inside of us that can connect us to God? We have our spiritual level, which is mind. Mind is spirit. And we have our wise mind, which is the core of who we are, the made in God's image, wisdom. And what we need to be doing, uh, the concept of cleaning up our mental mess is accepting the mess, but then repairing it and growing from it, which means I've got to tap into wisdom in order to do that. And so it's getting the wise mind to work with the messy mind. When we stay in just messy mind, that's when the problems come because we're not designed for messy alone. We're designed for messy plus managing messy. And that's where the concept of mind management comes in. So it's a a long answer and we can unpack a lot of stuff there because I've thrown out a lot of foundational stuff there that, I know that you yeah, had I have about a thousand questions
1: to that opening <laughs> statement, but um, what I love uh, the most about what you're saying in your approach, and uh, it comes through every sentence of the book, but it also comes through every interview I've seen you do and your personality, and it is that we need to be proactive and to take the initiative to control the narrative inside our own thinking.
2: Absolutely. And
1: I I know there's so much victimization in the world around us right now and you talk about I've heard you talk about the victimization in the church of uh, I must not have enough faith or I didn't pray the right prayer and that's why I'm in this position this mental mess that I'm in. And then I think in the culture I've heard people say, well that's just the way I am, you know, my mom was a warrior and uh, I was born into a family of warriors and therefore I'm a warrior and that's just the way it's going to be but you're actually saying we all have the power and the potential to completely change the narrative uh, in our thinking and i believe as you do that our thinking changes the narrative in our living so help people that have been stuck at that place of saying this is just the way i am my my dad was depressed my my mom was this way our family has a history of being warriors, or being fretful, or fearful, or anxious, and how, how do you interrupt that kind of thinking?
2: Okay, so that's also once again such an excellent question, and and such a good concept to raise because it's it's everyone can relate to that. Everyone can relate to those those kind of feelings or that concept. Now, the current narrative medically today in the, in the psychiatric world will tell you that, well, yes, you are a warrior. So just live with it and take medication. It's part of who you are because you have a damaged brain. Now, it may not say directly as directly as I'm saying, but that's pretty much what they are saying. So that's not correct, though, because we have to look at the science and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. The word science comes from the word sclera which means knowledge, and God is the source of all knowledge. So when we talk about science, we're talking about God's stuff. We're talking about the how of the story of what it means to be a, a human, which we hear, with. The, so the Bible's telling us the whole spiritual, sort of philosophical, the narrative, and science tells us how. So God's given us science to understand how we function. So essentially, when I talk, when you you mentioned about being proactive, not being a victim, having this feeling that I can't get out of it, When we when we recognize that we have the ability to think, feel, and choose, then we recognize that we have this actually the actual true narrative we should be telling ourselves is one of I have the ability. It is it's hopeful. I have this ability to change. So therefore, if I have got depression, Parents had depression and parents were worries. The statements that you made, um, my parents, we did this, so I'm doing this. That does pass down the bloodline. It is the way, because whatever you say and do, the worry statements, the worry attitude to life, where everything's converted maybe into the negative, whatever it is that is a sort of pattern in your family that you see yourself living in or activating as well in your life, that has passed through the generation because every thought that you think is a physical structure in your brain that has come from your mind experiencing something. And that passes through, uh, the, it basically passes through the sperm and the over to the next generation. We call this the epigenetic factor. But it doesn't mean that whatever comes through that you have to live in, you're not bound by that that is not your destiny so what we see scientifically is that whatever passes through so you you'd see these patterns in families And there's also, you you get born to the family, there's the DNA that's there inside of you, but it's wrapped up, it's sealed up. It's like in a cocoon. And then when you are nurtured in that environment, that triggers and activates that. So you then fall back into that toxic pattern and that's how toxic patterns carry on. So the hopeful message that I bring is not what the current message is, which is, oh, you're a broken brain, you can't help that. That's just genetically who you are. That's absolutely nonsense. It's not scientific at all. It's been disproven um, through so many years of research It's a great narrative for selling drugs and and for selling a very simple quick fix methodology to mental health, but it's not a successful way. What we need to rather recognize is, okay, there is this pattern, but this is not who I am. Who am I really? At the core of who I am, my neurobiology, so my brain and my biology of my body is all designed for health, for survival. So simple example. The COVID virus, we all know so much about the COVID virus now. We know it's got these abnormal proteins. We know that when it enters the brain and the body, the body affects, the, it immediately stimulates the immune system of the brain and the body to fight it. So the immune system sends out immune factors to fight the virus. And so that, as much as that virus is made of proteins, the thoughts that your mind builds into your brain. That you with your mind built into your brain are also made of proteins i'm not saying they're the same proteins as the covid virus because there's different types mm-hmm. of proteins but they are made of proteins with the knowledge and the substance of the of the experience is inside the proteins as a vibra- as, as an actual vibration this is hardcore science so our mind creates this from the invisible is the visible created and there's scripture to back that up too in, in many different everything I say you can back up scientifically and scripturally because of the science spiritual link okay so we've got this physical thing inside of our brain and if it's if it's a toxic experience and it's created a toxic pattern of thinking then the protein is distorted and that's what can pass through the bloodline but that's not, that's not part of our natural design our body is rejecting that so in the same way that it rejects the COVID virus, your immune system recognizes a toxic thought, whether it's one you've created or one that's passed through the generations and you've awakened, being nurtured and totally unaware of this whole system. People don't know the stuff I'm teaching unless they hear it. But um, that's now awakened this this toxic protein. Now this this tree has has come alive, this thought tree, and I've got images here of trees, a healthy thought and a toxic thought, and we can talk in more detail about these in a moment. But essentially that that pattern of depression, worrying, et cetera, is now awakened. And now your immune system is saying, okay, this is not good. This is a threat to your survival. This threat's the wired for love, nature, optimism, bias of the mind made in God's image, however you want to verbalize it. Um, and it's now sending out immune factors to that toxic thought of worry or whatever. Um, worry is the signal, but there's a reason why that you, the content that you're worrying about, that pattern of worry, which has a, has a cause because worry is just a signal. It's not the detail. So the detail around that thought that's producing the worry, that whole that whole construct, that whole tree-like construct, activates the immune system to say, "Hey, that threatens your survival," and sends out immune factors in the same way it would do with the COVID virus. So that increases inflammation in the brain and the body. It activates the, the the stress the stress pathway in the wrong way. It becomes overactive. You get you know threats to your cardiovascular health. All there's a whole downstream, right down to the level of your DNA that I talk about in the book. In other words, the experience of our mind is converted into a physical substance in our brain and in the DNA of our body. So it's in three places, mind, brain, and body. That's why I talk about psycho-neurobiological, And that in ourselves is activating the immune system. And the ones that have come through generations are activating the immune system. So, but what we can do, so that's the scenario, but that's not the, that's not the whole picture. That's not the end of the game. What it is, is that's just, that's what's happened and what is happening. What we can do is stand back and use our powerful mind, our ability to think, feel, and choose, which is what the mind in action is doing. Thinking, feeling, choosing, thinking, feeling, choosing. Those three functions always go together. They're never separate. When you think you'll feel, when you think and feel, you will choose. We're doing that at 400 billion actions per second all the time. So when mind is activated, it creates a product. And the product Is that thought. But at the same time, we have this mind that is able to evaluate the mess and to fix it. And that's the wise mind. So when we actually are talking about things like prayer and worship and talking to the Holy Spirit and the language that is used in in the religious environment, in Christianity, um, and even in in other religions, there's similar kind of ways of saying, saying these same sort of things. But when we talk about Talking to God, we are basically doing capturing thoughts and renewing our mind, and that's the science that I have developed the how to. So my science is how do you stand back, capture those thoughts, observe yourself, capture those thoughts, deconstruct them and reconstruct them. In other words, renewing the mind. So capturing the thoughts is the one is is what we're able to do, and that's the, the thought. So in other words, we with our wise mind can look at the product of the messy mind work together to actually now capture the thought and do the whole deconstruction reconstruction process and and that's renewing the mind so i'm just giving the science of those two of those concepts through the power of what the bible says which is that we have we brilliant god's brilliant god we brilliant because God's brilliant because we're made in god's image so we have wisdom as our, as our, at our core but we have the element of free will. So core is wisdom, then there's free will. So in other words, we have our free will enables us to make messes. It's experimental. It's an absolute gift from God. We can experience humanity. We can make the messes but we can also repair the messes and learn and grow from that. So we mustn't be frightened of the messes. We need to manage the messes. And that's a complete shift in philosophy. What we what we do when we try and say, oh gosh, I can't do anything. I'm just, my parents are warriors out there. You're just strengthening the toxicity and you're not applying your wisdom mind. You're just allowing yourself to live in the mess. Now I'm telling you, you maybe didn't know this, but you can stand back into your wise mind and actually fix the, the mess. That's what you're designed to do. That's the power of love. And that is... Um, That changes the whole neurobiophysiological responses in the brain and the body. And that's very hopeful. And that's proactive. And that's a skill we need to teach our kids. And it should be at school. And it should be in church. And it should be throughout our life. Because renewing of the mind is something that you constantly do. It's an organic process that you're going to get better and better and better as the more you do it.
1: I I love that uh, you are not (laughs) afraid of the combination of science and faith. And this is one of the things I've been trying to say as a pastor for a long time. The church wants to default to, um, it wants to create a and an an anti-science bias. You know, all scientists are bad and faith is the way to go. It's all about God and the Spirit. But God created the human brain. So you are studying something that God made. And I'm not afraid of any science, because I don't think at the end of the day, anyone who is created by God is going to be able to cancel God. So even if someone is a friend of mine who's a non-believing scientist, they have no faith, and either even anti-faith, I'm like, that's okay. Just keep studying what you're studying. Just keep researching what you're researching. Because at the end of the day, I believe we um, are all going to end up at a point of faith. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to come to faith. It just means that God is greater. God's the creator. And anyone who's studying anything God has created ultimately is going to have philosophical questions that they can't resolve through um, an empirical means. And there's going to be an element of faith somewhere in there. But I try to say to our people, God loves science, and we should love science. And we can live in a place where science and faith live in harmony with each other. But let me ask this question, because so far we're talking about these two sides of our mind, the messy mind and the and the wisdom that we have in this other uh, part of our minds, and we can work on the messy mind from our wise mind. Where does the enemy come into play in this equation of toxicity in our thinking? Can he, does he affect the way we think, and how do thoughts from the enemy when, when I say the enemy, I mean our adversary. How do they get into the, the equation?
2: Okay. So to answer that question, let me answer that from the science perspective as well. Quickly with the science thing. I mean, people challenge me with that whole science thing. I've never been able to understand how anyone can challenge it. Because if you have a problem with science, I'm not saying you, if someone has a problem with science, then don't use your cell phone. Don't use Zoom technology. Don't even use the lights in the church. Don't play that musical instrument. Don't eat. Don't Walk, don't build a house. That's all science. Science is knowledge. So we have to change our definition. It's very, very archaic thinking for the, that the church has, has got the separation. And also impir- being empirical is so spiritual. If you look at the lessons throughout Scripture and throughout right. all ancient texts, it's really about, hey, look at this person did this. Look what David did. David made a mess. David looked at the mess. David repaired the mess and so on. The stories are all through how we have to get into life and be empirical and then empirical about how we actually manage that mess. So it's 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 a it's a whole it's a very unforgiving kind of um, segregation to think that or separation to think that hey science is one thing and I've been accused of this many times in the in the thirty eight years that I've been in this field that hey you're you're this or you're that because you believe in science I said well then I I, God, God is science because that's God is the source of everything. We all have our ability to interpret science in different ways. And I've made statements like that already in this in this interview, that the current model of mental health is very, it has really distorted science. So it's science, but it's a distorted interpretation. So you'll have people that will do studies where they get, they ask people questions about various toxic issues and they'll measure the response in the brain and they'll say, oh, the brain produced that response. But the question was asked first. So the mind did the processing first and the brain responded. So it's not the brain producing anything, it's the brain responding. So transitioning from there, Louis, I think what's really important in terms of answering your question as well is that we need to understand what the mind is and what the brain is. And then you can understand the role of external influence and whether you call it the um, enemy, the adversary, the the whatever, there's so many different ways of describing it. And I can describe everything very scientifically and I can use scripture to kind of, as you can see, that's sort of the language that I'll use. And I can use ancient texts and things as well to do that, but I'll keep it very simple. And essentially the mind, The, the I'm going to hold up another model of the brain and the body. Okay. So here's the brain and the body. Here's a for the viewers, I'm holding up a brain and a skull. It's not a real one, and for the listeners, and and the, the, I'm holding up a model of the body, which has got a brain in it. Okay, so the brain and the body, and this is powerful. This will really help understand the question that you're asking. The brain and the body are physical. We know that. We understand that. But it's only one to ten percent of who you are. If you are dead, this body disintegrates. We all understand that. So what's the difference between you and me and a dead person? It's our mind our mind is our aliveness and that's our spiritual nature. So people often ask me when I talk about mind am I referring to soul? We've got to go track back to the ancient scriptures to also an ancient text to find out what that word mind encompasses and you'll see in the ancient text it encompasses the concepts of spirit and soul. And and spirit when I mean, so so the mind is very it's very much our spiritual level and it's 90 to 99% of who we are. And right up until um till in science until probably maybe 80 years ago, there was a very clear distinction between mind and brain. And then even when I was studying in the 80s, mind and brain was seen as separate and the mind was, was stimulated, the brain, but the brain wasn't seen as changeable. The brain they saw was fixed. It was, And I did some of the earliest work in my field in neuroplasticity, which shows that the brain can change. Then we shifted to understanding the brain can change. And then suddenly the mind or the spirit and soul got thrown out the door in the current sort of scientific philosophy. And the focus was all about brain-brain brain so people talk about mind and brain as though they're the same thing in the current language or narrative of the day and that's incorrect it takes away a hope it takes it creates confusion because you don't know where to, where does it where, where does it start where does it end what what do i do how do i have hope if it's all just brain dri- driven because the brain is such an awesome and incredible structure i mean learning more and more about it and it thinks well if it, it feels like it controls us but you control your brain because if you're dead, your brain does nothing. I can hold up a dead brain and that person's dead in front of me. There's nothing going to happen because the spirit and soul have left the body. Now these thoughts that we build as a result of mind are made of proteins. And if you look at the thing I'm holding up now, which is a plant, thoughts look like trees and a tree has a root system, a trunk and branches. And a a tree has weight because it's made of stuff. The thoughts that we build as a result of, of mind that we build into the brain are made of proteins. They have weight, they have physical weight. Now this would be a healthy thought, the green tree and the toxic tree, the toxic wiry tree, which is from South Africa, by the way, and I've dragged around for years with me, is made of same proteins, but distorted proteins, but it has weight. So when someone dies, the, the, the stuff that's keeping this moving, which is the mind substance inside of those, it's like vibrations inside the proteins, so there's a weight difference between a dead person and a an alive person. And this is a new, this is a, an ancient but also new area of research where they're actually showing that. And so what that means is that thoughts have weight. Now, this has a, a heaviness on us. This creates a toxicity, a toxic thought undealt with trauma, undealt with issues, uh, has a heaviness on us. So if we are depressed but we think depression is an illness, we're never resolving this because depression isn't an it like cancer or diabetes. Depression is simply a warning signal. Anxiety is a warning signal. It's a clue. It's a cue that there's something going on. So what we have to do is look at the depression for what it is. It's a warning signal. And we need to find out why you're feeling depressed. And that's the work that we need to do, which in order to to do that, that's capturing that's what capturing the thought and renewing the mind is. It's listening to the signal from the from the emotions in the body and then doing the work of finding out why you're feeling that way and then reconstructing or reconceptualizing that. Okay. So that's the sort of basic foundation. Now we talk about being in life and we, and, and I'm going to answer the adversary question like this. If you look at how people have handled COVID in the United States, the, the media, We've been very well informed, but we've been over-informed with negative. We haven't had a balance with enough positive. So, interesting statistics have shown that it's about. I read a a, a research there recently, um, and had this discussion with someone recently where ninety percent of the media that we have had about COVID has been negative, and only about ninety percent, and only about ten percent positive. In other countries, it's been much more balanced, where there's been the negative, but they've also focused on look at this amazing hospital, look at these nurses are doing, look at the sacrifices that are being made. So. There's been a shift, not just bad, 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 but also look at the human element. Look at these people that did, that did heal. Look at the ones that left the hospital with the nurses clapping. Look at them in New York um, ca- clapping for people, for the nurses on the street and all the beautiful things. We haven't had sufficient emphasis on that. What is the point I'm making? The point is that we are drawn as humans because of our wired for love nature, because of our made in God's image nature, we are drawn to the negative, not because we are negatively wired, but because it is upsetting the balance, the wired for love, survival, homeostasis, balance, nature of wisdom. And we're drawn to it to fix it, okay? So anytime when there's anything negative in our environment, if we immerse ourselves in it with the view of, okay, this is imbalanced, I need to understand it and I need to start balancing with how can I reconceptualize this, then you've got messy mind working with wise mind and you've got management of the situation. But if you immerse yourself and just the example of the toxic media, if you just read one media article of after another, you feel terrible, and this is what I did. So many interviews during the first few months of COVID, where people asked me, "There's just so much negative input. What do you recommend? How should how much time should you spend reading it, etc., cetera, etc.?" Cetera. Because immersion in the in the negativity initially goes to healing the imbalance, but then it, it consumes you, and whatever you think about the most will grow. And so this is growing, and it's negative. So negativity is growing in you, and that's changing the vulnerability of your entire body and reducing your immune function for one, amongst all the others, by thirty five to. Now, in a period of COVID or any kind of viral pandemic that we're in, you certainly don't want to reduce immune function. And so our mind is having a massive influence on that kind of function. So now take it to your question of the adversary. And this is very, this now gets very theological because I think we need to be very careful of saying like the devil, he as a person, because Jesus rose from the dead and the devil was defeated. So evil was defeated. So it doesn't have the power that I think we allocate. And there's a very strong chance that people, and I've heard this so much in churches, in the years that I have taught in churches and the conferences I've done and the questions I've been asked of people saying the devil made me do it, that kind of concept. The devil cannot make you do anything. Okay, the devil is whatever you. I don't see the devil as a fixed. I don't. I talk about godness, and then obviously there is this ability that humans have to create because the 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 evil the devil was defeated. God gave us the power. So therefore, how we manage our mind creates the mess. So if we are consuming. Tons of negativity, and we're not dealing with our stuff. we are going to manifest so for example, someone who rapes someone, someone who murders someone, the evil we see among in racism, the the, the fighting between churches, between politicians, between families that is all the result of people's choices. We can't now go and say, oh, the devil made me do it, or there's this evil out there and it's catching me. We have to be much more, take much more, um, it's an insult to God in my opinion, because we have been given the mind of Christ and we've been made in the image of brilliance. We are brilliant and we have the ability to redesign our brain because every moment that you are responding and our mind is working 24-7, it never stops. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you cannot even go three seconds without thinking so therefore when you wake up with your mind you go to sleep with your mind you do everything with your mind exercise eat relationships talking on this podcast etc that means that we have been given responsibility we have been given the responsibility to make choices make messes fix the messes. That's the capturing and renewing part. So I rather shift the talk away to that and to say, hey, yes, circumstances do happen. If a child was victimized, if a child was bullied, that can create such a toxic pattern that a two, three or five-year-old cannot understand trauma. So therefore, they are going to, that's the traumatic experience, the root. That is their interpretation, the branches. This is a real thing in their brain. It's in the DNA. It's in the mind because the mind is the 99% all around you. It's literally a quantum field, electromagnetic field all around you. And through you. It's not there when you did. And that is, it's so, it's very real. You've experienced that, that you do what you can in that moment, which the five-year-old or whatever doesn't have the linguistic skills to process that abuse. So they do what they can, but they see themselves then as useless or bad or whatever. If that's suppressed for years and years, that will manifest in how they run a relationship or how they run their life as they get older and older, because this is pervasive. It's like a viral invasion and we have to deal with our stuff. Now we can't go and say, okay, that's a demonic oppression and try and cast that out. This is a person who's gone through stuff and they need to embrace it. Classic example of this, the best example of this is in the Bible of Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane models the, the, the how we should manage our minds and how we should manage them continuously. We all understand that Jesus, and I'm not talking about the going to the cross salvation thing, I'm talking about a very basic message that's not spoken about in the church, in my opinion, in terms of what the other message of the Bible, I mean the Garden of jesus going to the garden was and it's of mental health it's of how to manage your mind which is everything it starts with your mind everything around us is the result of someone's thinking everything in your life is the result of something is, is your mind drives everything so and and it's okay to mess up because we can fix up I just want to stress that you're not meant to be perfect all the time. You're meant to mess up and then capture and renew. So Jesus gets in the garden and that's the cue for us. What do we do when we see depression, anxiety, frustration, things going on in our life? We need to get in the garden. Getting in the garden means what? It means I face my stuff. I look at that depression and anxiety and behaviors and, you know, how I'm functioning in my perspective um, and my bodily signals. And I look at that and I see that as those as helpful messengers. Not that I'm an evil bad. Person and going to shame and condemnation and takes 10 scriptures and whack them on as though God is a genie and the scriptures are a magic potion. That's an insult to God. What we need to do is get in the garden and face our stuff. Why am I at this state? What is the, the, the mess? This is a mess that I'm in and it's okay because humans do this. We've got to keep telling ourselves it's okay. We've got to be kind to ourselves. God is kind and filled with love and mercy. So we've got to give ourselves that. Mercy. And no matter what you've done, we've got to be able to stand back and get in the garden and face it. You can only face your stuff. Only Jesus could go to the cross and do what Jesus did. So, Jesus in the garden, we know, took on all the sins of the world. Now, that has got so many layers to unpack. Because what does that mean? That means Jesus understood depression, anxiety, disassociation, uh, schizophrenia, um, a pain, grief, trauma. All of it, because every experience that humans can possibly have was in the garden that day. And that is incredibly overwhelming. Because our mind is how we experience. Our mind is at the front line. Think of this cloud around you as being your mind, the psychological... Uh, think field, choose energetic gravitational field. And it's not anything weird because gravity keeps us seated, but we have gravitational fields all around us, including our own mind gravitational field. But that's the first point of entry of any experience. And then that gets processed by the mind and into the brain. And the brain is where it's stored and in the body is where it's stored. And then we operate as a whole. The The, the mystery and the and the mysticalness is in the connection of mind with brain and body. And when that happens, the expression of you occurs. So you show up based on this this whole mix and then it produces the product of the thought and then you speak and do you live your life. So everything you're doing is an an expression of what you have experienced and how you process that. And sometimes we experience terrible stuff and we don't process it well and we manifest that uh, in, in terrible ways. So we need to look at that way we're expressing and we need to track back to what the experience was. We can't remove our story, but we can change it. Now that process is so painful. Jesus demonstrates that. Jesus sweated blood. We know from the neurophysiology or the mind brain body link, the neuropsychoneurobiology, that we, when we experience with our mind, it moves through our brain and our body. So, therefore, whatever's going on in our mind is going to be expressed in our brain and our body. Our brain and body are wired for love. If you're experiencing extreme trauma, that's like a wave like this. It's toxic and it's going to cause a lot of um, toxic patterns in your brain and toxic patterns in your DNA. That increases, challenges the wired for love design. We have nothing in our brain and body designed to handle that. So therefore, our brain and body does its best with, through the immune system and so on. But that ta- challenges the brain and the body. So the environment of the brain and the body become very challenged, become very vulnerable to disease, et cetera. So it's not that you sinned, you got cancer. Not at all. It is the fact that when we aren't managing our mess, we increase vulnerability and then things can happen in that vulnerable state. Now, in that neurophysiological link, something interesting happens. You can be so traumatized, so stressed, so anxious, the experiences that Jesus was going through, that you can sweat blood. It's a totally possible physiological thing. You can be so anxious that your heart, your I showed with my research that when you whatever's going on in your mind completely changes the blood flow and energy oxygen level energy levels in the brain in the heart in the way that the body is functioning blood vessels change they dilate they can get so much you can get your blood pressure can increase to a point where you can have capillaries bursting with blood so what we see there is scientific evidence of jesus in the garden facing and as he faced it was absolutely It was extremely hard. So hard that Jesus cried out to God and said, remove this cup from me. Take it away. I can't do this. Now, how many times have we been in situations where we've said that? And it's okay. Jesus said, it's okay. Say it. Get it out. You'll sweat blood. you'll, you'll, You'll have heart palpitations. You'll feel more anxious. Jesus got worse and worse as time passed in the garden to the point where Jesus sweated blood to the point. How do I know he got worse? Because he cried out, this is just too much. I can't do this. And at that point, as he expressed that there was a resilience that built. He didn't keep it in. He got it out. But he's therefore giving us permission to express. In the church these days, I get thousands, you may get this too, of DMs and emails of people saying, I love Jesus. I love God. I'm depressed. I'm too scared to talk about it. And they suppress it. You cannot suppress these things. These are volcanoes. They're going to erupt. And that's what we've got to manage. So then, then Jesus turns, to, and I'm almost done here. Sorry, I know this is a long thing, but it really is the foundation. When Jesus is in the garden, you turned to the disciples. He didn't ask them for Prozac or opioids or to swap places, and I'm being facetious, but he didn't. He turned to them and he said, can you but be with me? So therefore, the role of us as a human is to face our stuff. Only Jesus could carry that, do that thing. That was Jesus' role. What you're going through is your role. So no one can fix you. No one can take it away from you, we can only support each other. And that support, there's a whole lot of science around what support does and touch and how it changes the resilience in the brain and the body and everything. So Jesus is modeling once again, no one can fix you but people can support you so that your resilience increases. And then it got worse before it got better and that's called the treatment effect. As you start seeing, gosh I'm depressed because this happened in my life and I've suppressed it for for 10 years and I didn't know. And and as you see what happened to you, it's traumatic. So you get more anxious, you get more depressed, there's more physiological symptoms. And then it gets even worse. You go to the cross. The pain is unbearable. But then you rise again with the wounds in your hands. And those wounds are so significant of your story, what you have gone through, but there's now, it's reconceptualized. It's now shifted, it's passed through. You have processed it. The processing is terrible. But once you have risen again, that story is in your hands. So you can't change what happened to you. You can't forget, but you can change how you see it and how it plays out into your future. And that is work. And that takes cycles of, the science shows us how long, how long does it take to capture a thought and renew it, Cycles of 63 days how long does it take to get yourself to the point where you can actually have this reconceptualized thought now look over here i've got a little piece that's out i'm going to put it in that's the story that's the toxic trauma it's changed it's become small it's part of but this is the new way that you're functioning so for the listeners i'm holding up a green tree and i've got one piece that i can take out which looks different and i'm putting it back in it's the Story that's now been shrunk because you've now managed it. You've put it back in. You've changed how it looks in your brain, how it looks in your DNA, how it looks in your mind. And you'll still cry. It'll still be painful, but you now own it. You now have changed how it's going to play out into your future. You now are saying things like, I want to have a relationship. I don't want to wake up depressed all day long. I don't want to live in a state where I don't want to live, where I just want to die. I want to. Try through this pain and I want to see it differently so that I can move forward with my life, whatever that looks like. And that is a process and that takes time and that takes work. No quick fix, no slapping on of scriptures. Scriptures are part of, um, uh, you know, memorize, but it's not the process. It's kind of at the point, otherwise we're using God. So in a nutshell, I'm teaching people how to pray continuously. And let me stop there. <laughs> Lots of answers.
1: process. I love the process i'm in a I've been in a process for a while now uh twelve almost thirteen years of a process of uh coming to terms with the fact that what we're talking about is significant and um, you mentioned in the book that we have tipped over into the place where we're actually now seeing the life expectancy of people getting shorter, not getting longer a lot of it you're tracing back to now the the fruit of these toxic thoughts and what the a messy mind does when it's left to itself and when it isn't addressed. I know for me, I had a, uh, wasn't described as a mental breakdown, but probably something similar to that about 13 years ago. And unfortunately, or for, I would say fortunately, it was so significant that I couldn't ignore it. And I couldn't not talk about it. So I disappeared for four months. You can't just come back and say, oh, yeah, I was just kind of, you know, spending some time alone. I had to say to the world, um, you know, my brain shut down. That's the best definition I got, actually, from uh, doctors that were helping me was your brain realized that if you were going to continue the toxic thinking behavior that you were in, you were going to die. And so your brain said, we're stopping right here. And we're going to hit the reset button, and it's going to take a minute, and it did. Uh, It took a few months before I was able to actually rejoin society, and I'm still in that process. I'm today in the process, this morning when I woke up, of pausing and breathing out and breathing in God's greatness and His power and His love for me, His provision, asking him to cover me with a blanket of peace and rest and confidence in who he is. And I think we're willing to commit to the process if we want to run a marathon. We'll commit to the process if we want to build a house. We'll commit to the process if we want to save up enough money to go to the Bahamas. But we do not want to commit to the process of changing the way we think. Why are we so lazy and unwilling To fight the fight, the process that will literally save our lives.
2: Excellent question, and I want to just take off um, my hat to you and honor you because I don't know if you're aware of this, but only three percent of leaders will talk about mental health because of the stigma that's been created over the last forty years, and only four percent of churches are talking about mental health. And when they do, it's generally to say it's a disease, go see a psychiatrist, and that's just not the not the right answer. Churches should be doing this all the time because. There's no one who's exempt. So, first of all, as a leader, you being able to say this and talk about your process is vital because each of us, I battle, you battle, every human battles. As a leader, we give permission, especially within the church. There's so much religious trauma because it's like, oh, well, if I say I'm depressed, I'm weak. You're not weak. You're human. You're strong. You Jesus did it. So why can't we do it? So we've got so that's really good that we encourage um, you know, people that are going through stuff and everyone's got a story. I work with Leaders around the world, as you know, teaching churches and I, around the world, I leaders in neuroscience, education, corporate, etc. And I'm telling you, no one's exempt. Everyone's got some trauma. Now, you ask the question, "Why do why are we lazy?" I think it's more a question of we don't know because we have got so many false narratives and so many false messages. It's if you say enough scriptures, you'll be fine. If you do this, you'll be fine. So there's a lot of like works related stuff in the wellness industry. Same thing. These five steps, those seven, this, and you know, I've but a five-step process, but it's not a five-step quick fix. It's a system. It's a It's simply a systematic way that you get your mind managed. It's a systematic way of how do I capture a thought and renew it? And into that, you can fit whatever technique you want, whatever scriptures, whatever... Um, uh, habits and things that you um, that you're, that you do, meditation and the prayer and all that stuff can be fitted in. But the whole point here is that we can't just take something external and put that in us to fix us. So the education has been wrong. And this is why I said we need to, from young, be educating our kids at school alongside the history and the social studies and science and et cetera, which are vital, is we need to also have lessons on this is how my mind works. This is how my brain works because your brain doesn't do anything on its own when when your brain shuts down it's because your mind's shut down so your mind experienced stuff that it hasn't processed and you can't have volcanoes that aren't processed eventually they explode and the brain just is responding to what's going on in the mind and so is the body because of that link that's education and it needs to start in in nursery school it needs to be in church in in teaching our kids in play groups in at church school groups in bible studies in and it's an ongoing process i've shown my research that you can get anxiety and depression etc managed by up to 81%. You'll, imp- you'll man- become more efficient by an 81% factor in managing anxiety and depression. How? By bringing thoughts into captivity and renewing your mind. That's the system I'm providing. But if you don't do that work, it's not going to happen. So why don't people do it? So I don't, I don't know if it's so much laziness as much as it is lack of education, of the how-to. It's also the, the a fear, tremendous fear of facing stuff. It's very hard to get in the garden as was demonstrated so clearly by Jesus. So therefore we not and we don't know we spec we, we kind of think, Oh well I'm not supposed to do this. It's everyone else is fine. No, everyone else is in the same boat. We all have mm-hmm. done we all so we level the playing fields, be more honest and say it's Let's all support each other. Let's all get this out. Let's all express this. It we we will find a massive shift in people facing this stuff and then processing through this stuff. So that's so. Then second, that goes into the current narrative of the day. So it's education and fear because of the current narrative within the um, church and within the um, the general environment, wellness industry, corporate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because that three percent of leaders talking about mental health is not just in the church. It's across the board. It's government. It's it's it, um, it's corporate it's medical it's every sector um, so that that's scary that means that if, if you as a leader now you as a leader have done something amazing because you have actually spoken openly about your process and that you're still going through which is totally normal you are just doing what humans do and you and you now have given permission to 97% of other to the other 97% of leaders that aren't doing that because you're very influential in the world to start opening up and talking about their stuff which then gives all the people that follow you permission to talk about their stuff so the Boomerang effect from what you've done is for enormous, and it's going to create an enormous shift in the right direction. Where you saying to people, "Hey, listen, it's okay. I needed to take a breath. I needed to to um, to to reset, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And it's maybe going to happen again in your life. I had people at the beginning of my clinical studies that said, "I am depression" because they've been clinically diagnosed with depression. But what does that even mean? I can have five people in front of me with that diagnosis, but each of them got there because of a story. There's an origin to the issue. There's a source to the experience that you had. There's no shame in that. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. It's just you in life experiencing adverse circumstances and not knowing how to manage it. And then crashes come. So it's education, it's narrative. The third thing is that we that we need to understand um, in terms of the education factor, we need to understand that there's a time involved. So it kind of is related to the to the education factor. But we've become so caught up in the whole technology and quick fix, and it really sounds quite facetious. But don't use God as a genie. Don't use scriptures as a quick fix. Don't use prayer as pass the buck. Pray, you know. It's, okay, I'll just give you this, and now you're fine. Go memorize ten scriptures. Just the other day, I was talking to a pastor who I was training his him and his church, and he said that. If someone came to him with depression and anxiety, he would give them scriptures. He said he did them a disservice. He saw now it got they, they actually got worse because not that the scriptures bad, obviously not, but the way they were using it, they hadn't dealt with their stuff. So they were putting a band aid on a bullet wound. To quote a friend, they were chopping the head off the weed in the garden. The weed kept growing back. We have to get in the garden and actually pull the weed out, and that's painful. So there's that factor. Then the other thing that leads to this is that very often, because of all of those three factors of of the education, the narrative around the fear. And and the, the the concept of understanding what I just explained, we then, um, we get to the point where we crash. You had that experience. And all of us, at some point, maybe multiple times in our life, we suppress and suppress and suppress. But these are volcanic in nature. Think of a volcano. It eventually erupts. And that's what's going to happen with thoughts. You cannot push them down without effects. And eventually it will, they will explode. And so very often people get to the point where they've suppressed for so long that they collapse. And it's in the brokenness that we heal. We know all of the scriptures around that and all the teachings around that. And it's very true that sometimes we have to completely break. And that's when we can start completely growing new. You know, It's all that new birth and all that stuff. So that's really a huge factor. So then I remove from the whole equation, um, sort of the negative, oh, I'm bad because I'm depressed. And I'll bring another narrative. It's okay to be depressed. Embrace it. Because it's a message. It's telling you something. Embrace the depression. Now embrace, once you've embraced the depression, depression signal, now embrace what's going on in your body. Are you suffering? Where's the, what's going on in your body? Because there will be a physiological response. What's going on in your, in your behaviors? How have you changed? What are you, you know, you, you could just. From what I'm saying, I'm sure your minds think drawing back to that time period and all these. You know, you could answer all of these with a lot of answers. And then also, what was what's your perspective? And those are all warning signals that start the process of you now going into a reflect stage. So, and last thing is that neuroscientifically, we see that you are able to manage your thought life every ten seconds. So there's science backing this up, bringing all thoughts into captivity. It doesn't say bring some thoughts on Sunday or a few on Monday, or three or four here or there. It's every thought. Well, how many thoughts do we think? Scientists have estimated, quantum physicists have calculated. It appears that we think, we build, think, and we, we with our mind, we have about 8,000 to 10,000 experiences a day, and those are converted into thoughts. So we build about 8,000 to 10,000 of these thoughts a day. Some are very full, some are just little, some grow onto other thoughts that are existing. But to build them, we activate a whole bunch of other thoughts you're doing that right now. As I'm talking, I'm reminding you of all kinds of things are popping, all kinds of thoughts are popping up into your conscious mind yeah. from your non-conscious to help you process what I'm saying. So we have stuff popping up that are triggered. We have our internalization. We think about what we already have and we building. That combination means that we have about 30, 40, 50,000 things going through our head in a day, and every single one is supposed to be brought into captivity. So that means the whole time that we consciously awake, we are supposed to be capturing thoughts and renewing them, which is praying continuously, which is doable, but it's a skill that we need to train. And that's what I believe God is calling us to do. Wow,
1: so helpful. And uh, I love just the combination of the the scientific backbone and understanding to what God has called us all to do. And uh, you've mentioned it several times, but if you want to dive more into the five simple steps that... Um, Dr. Lee's talking about Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess is the book, and it's available obviously everywhere books are sold. um, I'm so encouraged because we are releasing a book, obviously, um, about winning the battle of your mind from a a very pastoral, scriptural standpoint, but we're also going to release a companion devotion Called at the table with Jesus, and it's uh, somehow I think we might have gotten our days off because there are, you know these days these numbers float around out there, but it's sixty six days.
2: Yeah, you know, 66, It's, you know, it's in to the same way. Fortify vein. your yeah.
1: faith, and mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a sixty six day journey of sitting at this table with Jesus, and so that's what if you see the two books, you'll understand now why. The uh, devotional guys got that odd number on the end of it. You know, it's not a three hundred sixty-five day or a twenty-one day thing. It's um, it's the science underneath it, and
2: yeah, there's not much. I'm glad you've done that, uh, Louis. Sorry to interrupt you there, because I've there's very little science on that, and so I've incorporated those. There's about six or seven studies done, and I put them in the book. And I've done. I'm one of those studies. So I'm one of the scientist that has researched those numbers. And so people can actually see it backs backs up what you... So well done for not making it 21. That's really great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say thank you for your time today. You've been so generous and given us a lot to think about. And obviously, um, just, I think, empowering people to know you can live a different life. And the, the phrase that I'm going to remember from today... Uh, the thought that just uh, you know is now planted in my mind is that we were created to be brilliant because we were created by a brilliant God, and I hope everyone listening to our conversation today knows that um, you are made in the image of God, and through Christ, if you know Him and what He did for us in the Garden that you so beautifully described, we have a new nature, and we have the Spirit of Christ living within us, and we have the ability and the power through His Word to change the way we think and to think like he thinks. So it's been a pleasure to meet you. Look forward to the next time we're together. But thank you so much for taking time to join us today. We're grateful.
2: Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for giving me so much time to give you such long answers to your brilliant questions. I appreciate that. And and one more thing that we do have to help people as well is I have an app called the NeuroCycle app, which is really great because it walks people through the process. It's like me giving them therapy. And you know, I'm just thinking of the combination of your two books and the book and the app. You've got a a toolbox literally for helping people renew the mind.
1: Great. So awesome. Thank you so much. God bless. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank
2: you.
0: All right, take care. Bye-bye.
2: You too. Thank you so much.
0: Wow, what an incredible and inspiring conversation. And that's a lot to take in. I loved it. Thank you so much, Dr. Caroline Leaf. And I know for me, I'm wanting to rewind a little bit right now. And if that's you, I want to remind you that Dr. Leaf's books are available everywhere books are sold. You can dig in for more as well. I also want to remind you that faith and science don't have to smash into each other. A lot of times they complement each other. And as she's showing us how our brains work and teaching us from that scientific perspective, how we can change our minds, we can open God's word and even go deeper and delve further into these spiritual principles and truths that he's already laid out for us. Cause he's the creator of this amazing brain that is in our heads and he knows how to rewire it and how to transform it by the power of his word and His truth so that we truly can live to our full potential in Him. So thanks for joining us on this edition of the Passion and Purpose podcast. I look forward to seeing you. Season one's almost coming to a close. I look forward to seeing you next time.